So I wanted to talk about something the Lord has, has given me. He's given me this message a few times and convicted me on a few times about just how high maintenance we are. We know we talk about people being high maintenance, but they always wanted something from us, always needing something from us. And some of us are more tolerable than others. I'm not all that tolerable. I've learned a lot since I've been born again to, to give and to keep on giving. Um, but most of us, you know, it's high maintenance. It's, it's just some people we just kind of hide from because <laughs> there's such high maintenance. We know that every time they come around, they're going to want something. They're going to need something. There, there's something about them that they don't have, and this is why they can't go do this. That's why they can't do this. Well, sometimes God looks at us and we're high maintenance, but the thing is he made us high maintenance in a certain way. We're all sheep. And, you know, and, and, and Jesus said, you know, on the brand, you know, the vine and we are the branches. And so we can't do anything apart from them. So that, so that's in that way that we can't do any good thing without him. So in that way, we have to have him, you know, in that way, he's high maintenance. We need encouragement from him. We need, you know, signs and wonders and all these things. And that way we are high maintenance and, and God's okay with that because he designed us that way. But the high maintenance that he has a problem with is that he's told us to do something. He's told us to go in a great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But there's too many times that we say, but I need this. I need this. I need, I need to be healed. I need to be delivered. I need to be set free. I need, you know, like Moses said, I need somebody to go with me. I, we need all these things. And next thing we know it, days and months and years and maybe even decades have gone by and we still haven't been obedient to God. Because we still think we need more stuff before we can actually do what he's told us to do. When all actuality, he's given us everything we need to do. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'll give you the Holy Spirit who's going to lead you into all truth. That he's going to be help you witness. You know, and, and, and when God's had to correct me on it, you know, on four, because I'm, I'm a reclusive. It's difficult for me to be out in front of people, but God's called me to go. Preach and teach, but I want to make sure I get every word correct, Lord. I want to make sure my I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and a day goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, and I'm still being high maintenance because I'm trying to get the perfect word of God to go. But then I, then I even see in Scripture that the best that Paul himself could do with the, with the armor, it was it described the righteous of God to an armor on a Roman centurion. Well, that's the best that he could do, <laughs> you know. And it made it to the scriptures. And certainly I can trust the Holy Spirit for me to say some things too, knowing that how are we going to describe an unseen God with the things in this world that have fallen? Because everything we see is fallen. Everything we hear is not as beautiful as it is in heaven. Not everything we see is 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 bright and, and brilliant as it's in heaven. And so so we want to make sure that we're not high maintenance in those other ways before we're obedient to God. And one of the things we're high maintenance about, and there's a scripture here found in, 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 in uh, Psalms, and I'm going to read this whole thing and come back to it. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. 
Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And there's a there's and it goes on from that, and this is kind of a longer song. But but did you see there's a there's a very common scripture passage in here that people quote. And that's to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give the desires of your heart. Except even delight yourself in the Lord is often left off. It's usually preached as God will give the desires of your heart, which is true. But it's amazing just how much there is before this scripture and how much is after it to qualify it, <laughs> to qualify the, um, the desires of your heart. Because that's what, that's what happens is a lot of our, our high maintenance is desires in our heart and a lot of desires that are in our heart weren't put there by God. And so he's got to get a lot of those things out before we can even be that effective. But many times we're seeking those things and because God loves his children and we are like babes, a lot of times we have to mature you know, long enough for him to even tell us, that's not a desire I gave you. And I'm not even talking about bad desires. I'm talking about good, healthy desires, at least for the right person. And so we're going to talk about some of those things because a lot of us have had those desires placed in our heart because something we saw, something we heard, and we thought, hey, I can do that. I like the result of that. And we picked up a desire that God never put in our heart. So we're going to go over this scripture quite a few times, you know, over the next few weeks. I think Pastor Steve will probably preach next Wednesday, but then a couple of Wednesdays after that, we'll, we're going to dive deep into this. So 1 Timothy, first one to talk about the desires is it uh, talks about God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So God does give us desires and he does desire himself to fulfill those desires. Now, this scripture is in the midst of instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, most people are going to default to we shouldn't be rich, we shouldn't have too much, we shouldn't have money, and they can fit, they completely forget that God right there says God richly supplies all those things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy those things. He doesn't want those things to control us, and if anything controls us, we really don't have much joy in anybody controls us, do we? We don't enjoy government controlling us. We don't enjoy a workforce in controlling us. We don't enjoy anybody controlling us. But God, who richly supplies us of all things to enjoy. First Timothy 2, 3 through 5 says, This is good acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, we're talking about the desires of the heart, so this is God's desire, that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we got to know that God does have desires. And those desires are not only in his heart, but those are desires, his desires he puts in our heart too. Because, I mean, how is this going to come about But he uses us? How are people going to know to repent and turn to Christ unless their pastor is sent? We're talking about desires. So God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Luke 12, 3 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So God is not against prosperity. God is not against us having a lot of things. He's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, the New Testament, a lot of times somebody does something for a king like Esther or even the New Testament uh, when Herod's daughter was dancing 
You know, and, and the king always said after, the, after his pleas, what did he usually say to the person? Half of the kingdom. Did, did Jesus say right here that God's going to give us up to half of the kingdom? No. Most people say up to the half of the kingdom, but he says, I'm going to give you the kingdom. God is not a God who's holding back anything from us. And so often our desires want to get the best of us and, 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 and we want to think, God is holding back on me. God has not allowed me to obtain certain things, whatever those desires are. And even if they are a good desire, and even if they are a, a desire that God put there, but we're not mature enough to receive it. So I want to talk about shifting desires. So this is what happened in the garden, and Satan hasn't changed his tactics. I mean, why would he? It's worked. <laughs> It works, so why change your tactics if it works? So it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave uh, also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and then they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So here is it. So they're in a perfect environment, man. Their best life now. Yeah. <laughs> Would you agree? Yes. But somehow the best life now wasn't enough. <laughs> when the tempter came and tempted, tempted Eve. So I want to talk about living our best life now from A to Z. <laughs> and, 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 and so I got, you know, 26 things to say <laughs> about our best. These are just thoughts. I work off thoughts. God gives me thoughts, and I multiply them, and you know how to how to get the word of God across. So this is talking about desires being placed in our heart, because once Eve took hold of what Satan was, Satan put some desires up there into her heart that wasn't God's. It was not God's desire from her to eat from the tree tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we talked about that earlier today at a life group over at Carol's house. Is is that tree of life, you know, of knowledge of good and evil is based on sciences. It's based on you trying it out to find out if this is good or this is bad. So if we have 100 mushrooms out there in Oklahoma, we don't know which ones are edible and which ones are not. Everybody's going to have to try to see which one's good, and some people are going to find out that's evil, they're dead. <laughs> is that the really way we want to go through life to find out what is good and what is evil? Do we really, really want to wait on, well, let's see how this ends up. But that's how every generation does. Even if they're being warned by the previous generation, this is evil, this will kill you. Well, how do you know? I'm going to try out for myself. Well, <laughs> that's what happens because we have desires and Satan has put desires in our heart as well. Now, this is my A to Z, 26 points. And I, I just kind of threw it up there and I, I kind of looked at that and I was thinking, that's probably how God sees our heart. <laughs> All those desires, <laughs> just in a big old mess. But A, tempted for something better. Was not Adam and Eve in their best life now? Could they approve, you know, approve on any things better than that? They couldn't, but they were tempted for something better. And we are too. No matter how successful you become in this lifetime, in this world, rather in the world or rather as a pastor, how many pastors are looking for something better and fallen? 
How many ministers have, been, have sold millions of books, seen a lot of salvations, and then fell themselves because they were looking for something better when they were already living the best life now that they could? We're tempted for something more delightful. Remember, Eve looked at, you know, looked at that, saw it was good for food, something better. This is a better tree than all these other trees out here. And it says she was, you know, that the tree was delightful in her sight. Were it more delightful than God in her sight? Well, apparently it was. Tempted for something more meaningful. Because you saw it, hey, this is why, this is good to make me wise. We're all looking for the meaning of life. And if we found Christ, he is the meaning of life. But a lot of times we want to show everybody else that we have meaning, purpose, or we want to have something tangible ourselves, and we don't have want to have that meaning that's you know that's dependent on Jesus Himself, but we want to create our own purpose. And here was Eve being tempted in the same things that we we're tempted in. So sin will derail you from your best life now. So, so we have enjoyed more prosperity than Solomon did in his day. Just think about that. The script, Jesus says nobody's had more prosperity than Solomon. At one point, they had to turn away from silver because they had so much gold. I mean, so much was coming in. Solomon was the richest man that ever was. But yet, us who live in America, in other sites of America, have more than Solomon had. And that might just kind of shake you going, no, really, would you want to go back if God gave you a chance to go back to Solomon's day and, and, and live a few, for, for a few days? I bet you're going to want to come back pretty quick because we have more riches than Solomon. I want you to think about these things here. We can eat any cuisine from around the world at any time. We can just go to whatever we want to eat, go to Oklahoma City, go to, you know, uh, you know, Stillwater, anything we want. Now, Solomon could too, but he had to wait for those times. He couldn't do it at, you know, at his convenience. We have heat and air in our houses and our cars. Would you want to go back to his time thinking about, he might have a beautiful castle, but you know how hot it probably got? Oh yeah, but he had those people waving those big old <laughs> fans. Really, would you trade that fan for the air conditioning you have now? No way. Or in your car, his chariot, or when he got on his horses? <laughs> Those were some hot days in that desert. But we had more, we have more than Solomon. We have access to all the knowledge of the world in our hand. <laughs> Solomon had to seek after knowledge and wisdom. He had to go get books. He had to order them, not through Amazon, <laughs> but he had to send people to far off countries to get wisdom, to get books and bring them in. But we have all that right in our hands. We can change careers four, four or five times in a lifetime. If we don't like something, for most, for most of mankind, people, once they had a career, and usually that career is chosen from them, for them, they didn't, couldn't choose. Now we see Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he tried his hand at all kinds of things because nothing was good enough for him. Even though God gave his best life, he said, that's not 
good enough. I want to, I want something more, something better. But we do all the time. We do the same thing in America. We have the opportunities. We have so much opportunity that we want to look at God and say, that's a good offer. It's like Shark Tank. That's a good offer, but I want to see what everybody else has to offer first. And we end up getting ourselves into trouble when we do that. Men can view more women in a night than Solomon did in a lifetime. We have virtual um, concubines getting on internet pornography. Prosperity is killing us. Comfort is killing us. Pride is killing us. Now, God has given us prosperity, but not aside from him. God wants to give us comfort, but he's our comforter. And when we take credit for anything that happens in our life, rather than give him the glory, it kills us. But the thing is, many times we don't go out and do what God's called us to do because I need more money to do that, Lord. You know, or, I, I, or we, we're trying to make ourselves more comfortable, getting a better car, getting a better house. When you see ministers throughout times going out there, I mean, I just, the other day I watched Arthur Blessed, the story of Arthur Blessed. And I'm going, that guy was made of a different cloth because he did not seek comfort. He carried a cross around the world. He went through a jungle. They said, nobody makes it to the other side. He went through snowstorms. He went through, went through wars fighting. God was able to use him greatly because he was low maintenance. Whatever God said, do it. He said, okay. But not us. We're going, okay, I'll do what you want me to do, God. But I need this, 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 and this, and this. I know before um, when I was working in the city and I moved out here, I was still working in the city. And uh, one day God asked me, he says, how much more money do you need to make to get things done so you can go back into the ministry? And I wasn't catching on right off. So I was being listing things. Well, I need this to build this and to build this. and I need to build my house. So I said, how long is that going to take? Three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, two years, three years. Uh-oh. Now it clicks on to me. I'm never going to get to what God wants me to do because I'm too busy trying to make sure I have everything in, in place that I can do things comfortably <laughs> yeah. and in prosperity and that I can quit God and come back and not worry about it. Because usually when you go out on the line of God, there is no going back. I mean, bridges are burnt. Can't go back to Egypt. I mean, God killed everybody and so all the families are not going to want you back. <laughs> Saying welcome back, you know. But it's killing us. Two and a half tribes wanted their inheritance now on this side of the Jordan. Remember that? And remember how upset Moses was along with the other tribes, thinking you guys are going to have your best life now, but we're still going to, by you guys are enjoying it, we're going to have to go fight. And of course, the, the, the men said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Let our women and children be here and we'll go fight to you until everybody has their own land and then we'll come back. And of course, that never happened because they never took it all anyway. Even to this day, they didn't take it all. But the same thing now. The same thing now. There are people that, you know, want their prosperity. And there's a lot of people that 
have made millions and maybe even billions, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with this two and a half tribes wanting their promise on this side of the Jordan. But I will tell you that if we, whatever we get now, we're not going to have later. Now, there's plenty of prosperity in, in heaven, but Scripture talks about whatever we receive now. Even, you know, the rich man says, you received your comfort down here. But this man who was sick received his comfort up there. But I'm talking about even Christians who go to heaven. There's going to be a lot, a lot of people in heaven that are going to be a higher places that nobody ever knew about than some of these people who sold millions of books and had, you know, toured the world and had great accolades and praise because they received a lot of their hand clapping, a lot of their applause now. So we should look... So we shouldn't be looking at these people and you know, either judging them or saying, I, I got to be like that, Lord, before I can go out. I got to be on TBN before I can start preaching. <laughs> you know, I got to do these kind of things. No, no, you're, you're too high maintenance. So seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added, has been translated as, Get all these things now so that the world will envy us. I mean, that may not be directly what they're preaching. And I'm not talking about everybody because there are some very honest and truthful, you know, prosperity preachers. But but sometimes the message is heard this way. I mean, I wasn't involved in a church that was very much saying that if we can have all these things, they're going to envy us. They're going to want these things. They're going to want to be rich because God has blessed us so much. They're going to want it. Well, that's not the gospel. And if you look back to Adam and Eve, they had everything. So that's really flipping the gospel and saying, says, get these things, you know, seek these things, and then the kingdom of God will come. No, that's opposite. So we got to be careful to the prosperity of the gospel we're hearing out there. Because some of them got it up, upside down about seeking these things. Then once, Lord, once I have these things, once I have this, this, this homeless house, once I have this house to help women, you know, in their pregnancy or, or, you know, women are beat or whatever, then I'll start helping them. And God's going, you got an extra room now. <laughs> Why don't you use that? <laughs> but no, so we're, we're too high maintenance. So we think we're going to show the world a better way. Well, the world already knows that way. It's dog eat dog. If you want to make it somewhere without God, I mean, there's many ways to be rich. There's many ways to be prosperous. But if you're going to do it right, you're going to have to wait for the increase from God. Because if you do it without God, you're going to have to kill, steal, and destroy. And there's different levels of that. I'm not talking about every rich person out there who doesn't know God, kill, and still destroyed, but they did walk on people. They had to. <coughs> on certain levels. Places like Amazon and Walmart, they take advantage of people to get where they are. But the better way is showing the world that we don't trust in riches. We walk by faith and not by the sciences. That doesn't mean we're against the sciences. The sciences are five senses. It means we judge the world by five senses. What we see, hear, touch, feel, smell. What we're saying is we're not led by those senses. We don't need those senses to know what is right and what is true. We're going to show the world that we're not led by opportunity. We're not led by a carrot dangled in front of us. I cannot be compromised because you're offering me something 
Like even God wants me, but I have to bow my knee to do it. I have to worship you to get over here? No. But yet, this is kind of the society or the culture of many churches that we live in now. Prosperity now has led many to shipwreck their faith. I read The Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and I have since I was born again. And what's interesting to see is when a prosperous country and Marxism or something like comes in and, and Christians begin to be persecuted, the first people to fall, the charismatics, because their faith was in prosperity rather than in God himself. God, why didn't you save me from this? God, why didn't you help me from this? God, why didn't you hide me? God, why didn't you protect my stuff? Many are no longer looking for a better city to come as, as Abraham did. Remember that? Abraham considered himself a sojourner, looking for a better city. And this is really tough in here in the United States of America because we've had this, the, the greatest nation that I would say since Israel when it came to following God. Israel wasn't perfect either. They had a whole lot of problems just like we did. But there's so many people that are looking for a better tomorrow in America rather than Jesus returning someday to judge the nations. So they're not looking for a better city. I know when I came out here and, and I uh, turned, I don't know, I guess must have been 44, 45. And I began thinking about people on their deathbed. You know, you've heard the deathbed regrets. You've even heard it in church, giving you seven deathbed regrets and pastors just pounding on a pulpit how you don't want to have these regrets. And I started thinking about some things that I, oh man, I'm going to have regrets. And so I wanted to change these things before then. So I began altering God's plan for my life because I didn't want to be on my deathbed and have these regrets. Because but God is so merciful and so kind. He stopped me and asked me, says, do you think those regrets you have on your deathbed are going to be the same regret when you wake up in my presence? Are you going to regret never being married or having family? When you're in my presence, are you going to regret not traveling and seeing places like Egypt and, you know, Iraq and Babylon and all those places? Do you really think you're going to wake up in my presence going, man, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> I regret seeing those things. What in this earth are we going to regret when we wake up in the presence of God? So why do we want to delay Jesus coming like some people are trying to do? or think they're trying to do. I don't know when Jesus is coming. I think he's coming soon, but... Yeah, but, uh, but nevertheless, but there's, but there's a lot of people, if you tell them, well, I don't want Jesus to come back, I want to get married. I want to have a job, I want to see my grandkids. Really? You think those are better than being in the kingdom of God forever and ever? I understand that's a desire, but that desire has been lifted up higher than God himself. And it's killing us. We're no longer looking for a better city. I want to see the uh, United States restored. I am preaching messages on God's ways on how that to happen. Our, you know, our, our, our Declaration of Independence says, you know, and, and Constitution is talking about that we we're trying to become a, you know, a better, 
can't think about it right off my hands. Uh, you know, my more better, you know, union. Well, we got a union that's coming that's not more better. It's the best. And we always need to have that eyes on the city that's coming, the new Jerusalem that's coming that's not going to have any crying in it. It's not going to have any pain or sickness or disease or anger or fighting or bickering or jealousy in it. Rather than trying to fix the things that are down here. So we're not living as sojourners, but mistaking our claims as if Jesus is not coming back to judge. The message that Jesus is going to return to the earth someday has been greatly lost. And even if he doesn't return for 100 years from now, it still should be one of our things that we preach more than on one occasion. It's like I used to talk about end times all the time, and I still do talk about end times, but I had this one pastor, and at the time he was like 62, and I was something like 33, 34. He said, why do you always have to, you know, talk about end, you know, end times? I was going, look, end times for you maybe tomorrow. <laughs> So it's so so you are getting everything in order. But for somebody 30, we don't think, you know, think about death tomorrow. <laughs> but if we think that Jesus could show up, which is one of the doctrines that should be preached, then we're going to kind of, even at a younger age, we're going, you know what? He's probably not coming back tomorrow, but I'm going to live like he is. Because yeah. one thing, God doesn't promise to us tomorrow. He's definitely given us an opportunity to live a long life. There's lots of scriptures that say that, but it's not promised to us because so much of it's up to us and how we live. Many prefer the luxuries and hardships of Egypt than the disciplines of the Lord. I want to see the United States of America restored, but I don't know what's going on in the hearts of my neighbors. I don't know what's going on in the hearts of the churches. I don't know if God's trying to shake up America because just like he shook up Egypt because most of the Jews would not have left. They're going, yeah, we have to make our own bricks and provide our own straw, but at least we got onions. At least we got enough food. At least we got a future. Because us going down to, you know, and to a couple days journey, we don't know what we're getting. So we don't want to let go, even though it's rough in Egypt. Even though we're being abused in Egypt, it's tolerable. It's comfortably numb. So God had to send Moses in there and says, turn up the heat, Moses. <laughs> and, then, and, the, and the persecution increased. The taxes increased until the point that not only did the Jews want to leave, but everybody in Egypt wanted the Jews to leave. And I do think it's coming to the time that, that the church is going to want to leave and the church has done such powerful things like Jesus casting out a de- you know, legion of demons out of a man that people didn't want delivered. Or like Paul re- rebuking a spirit of deviation out of a woman, out of an ungodly business that the people were upset about. They're going to say, I wish you guys would go. I wish Jesus would come and take you out of here. But too many people, no, I know it's rough now, but I want to live my full life. They're not thinking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not the center of their life. We delight in Egypt more than God. 
Many are trying to reform cities that are worn out from reformation. I believe in reformation. I believe that we need to reform things. But how many times can you reform something until it gives out? How many more reformations can we take? How many more facelifts and Botox <laughs> before you don't look human anymore? How much longer will the wine scan last and not break? God is not waiting on us. God waits for no man. Because there's a lot of teaching out there that says God is saying once a church gets its you know, act in order and start doing what God says, then, then God will come. Well, God has a day that he's coming. And that's not going to change. What can change is how many people are going. What can change is how glorious it is. And that's up to us. But God does have a set day when he sends Jesus to come back. But how, how much people love that God is waiting on us. Well, if God is waiting on us, then the power is in our hands and we're going to delay because Satan loves, because Satan knows where he's going to hell, but the best thing he can do is delay. You know, I had a, family member who got in a you know, foster care and had this girl and who got raped by this teacher in school. And, and, and the teacher tried everything, and the teacher was convicted, but tried everything to keep the courts from trying him. He knew he was going to prison, but he tried to delay it as long as possible. Well, Satan is doing the same thing. And if he can get us to act on his benefit, it's going to happen. But God is not waiting on us. So we better hurry up. For the message that God has given me is run like Elijah down that, down that mountain. Because I see the hand of God coming. And I'm supposed to talk to all the lots in the world and say, you better run now too, out of the city where you are. I'm not talking about, you know, naturally. But I'm talking about spiritually. Because they're so compromised. There's so many Christians that are faithful that, I mean, I mean, this means they're not, I mean, they're moral, they have high ethics, but they have no hope, they have no future, because they're so seeing what's going on in the cities, day in and day out. When I lived in the city, every morning I'd wake up to somebody using God's name in vain. It's, it's really hard to pray for a city. God, help, help people save when, you, when you're just like Lot going, there's no righteous people here. If you say you're going to kill, you're going to judge the nation, that's going to happen. But Abraham lives so far from the city, so far from what's going on, the policies, so far from Fox News and NBC, that he's going, surely there's 50 righteous people down there. But if you're watching those news day in and day out, you're going, God is killing us all. <laughs> when the gospel has been preached around the world, we've heard that, but there's one other thing that's not being taught, because that's not the only thing. And I do think Jesus is coming back, but he may. We, but the whole world may go through persecution before he returns. You know, I've been saying for 20 years, you know, Christians in America have had great. But you talk about trials and tribulations, North Korea, China, India, parts of Africa. They're going through, you know, they have their whole life. And so, so, and Jesus said, if they've done this to me, they're going to do this to you. So it may be part of God's plan to see who's his own for the whole church to go through persecution for a time before he returns for a bride. In fact, a bride is going to be, he's looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle. How do you get spots out? <laughs> How do you get wrinkles out? Hot iron. 
Well, the other thing that we're waiting on, one thing, the angels will finish the job, not man. The last three and a half years of Revelation what talks about you know, man preaching, and then you have the two witnesses, and then you have the 144 uh, Jews, and then you have angels from heaven telling people to repent and put their faith in God. But the iniquity of the world must fill up too, and you see that throughout Scripture. God doesn't judge a nation, doesn't judge a person until their iniquity gets to the point so high that there's nothing God himself can do. That if Jesus was to show up, and I think there's a lot of people like that now, if Jesus himself would just show up and say, I'm the Christ, I died for your sins, put your finger in my hole to see, they would still deny him. Because some people's iniquity has gotten out high, and I think worldwide, that cup of iniquity is almost full. Now repentance can lower that iniquity, can lower that cup, and things can be delayed, but only God knows. But Jesus will return. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church because Jesus will not allow it. I've heard a lot of people preach on this thing, but if you look through history, if it wasn't for Jesus' words that the church will not, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it would have. Because the church really hasn't done a great job over the last 2,000 years. And the only reason the church has not been taken under the gates of hell is because Jesus spoke the words that it's not going to happen. And the end times, it says it's going to be so deceiving that even the elect could be deceived if possible. So even Jesus is going to have to say no, because if I allow everybody to be deceived, then the gates of hell prevail. That's not going to happen. Because Jesus is going to stop that. But once again, Satan wants us to believe that it's up to us. Jesus holds back hell, not us. Our burden is light and yoke easy. Our job is to believe and to follow without question. To stand and to have stand, even if it costs us of our life. You don't overcome her by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and love and not your life and the death. A three-strong cord, a rope that will save you. If there's anything in your life that you love, if you love the American life more than the kingdom of God, you're in danger. Many are no longer delighting in the Lord, but in what he may do. Let me go through here. It's almost through here. Did God really say? This is back from the garden where you know, Eve is being challenged by Satan saying, did God really say? Well, I was at a church and people had taken faith to such extreme, you know, to the point they say, well, if you can believe it, then God's going to do it, which is true unless God said he's going to do something else. <laughs> And there are things in the scripture that we can't pray that's going to change it whatsoever. So Satan was going, did God really say that the end times many people fall away? Well, I'm just going to pray that doesn't happen. Well, you're going to be wasting your prayers. You need to be praying that people are plucked out, but in the end, there's going to be a flood of people turning away. Your faith will fail if Jesus didn't author it. Many are chasing after the God of success. I've been guilty of this. Cutting themselves in hopes fire will come down from heaven. Remember the, you know, Elijah, you know, on that mountain, you know, coming down and all the, and all the, going against all Baal's uh, false prophets and they're building altars and, you know, and, and he said, whoever fire comes down, we're going to serve that God. And they're cutting themselves and Elijah's making fun of them and thinking, hey, your God might be in the bathroom. You maybe need to dig a little deeper, cut a little deeper. 
But you know how much we're doing that in this own nation, trying to be successful? And he wants to consume their altar of sacrifice. But fire only comes from heaven when we water the dry and drought altered altar of the word of God. <clears throat> Ours is not to call down fire. In fact, disciples want to ask Jesus, can we call down fire? He says, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. We're supposed to be watering, throwing water at the fire. You know, I am a prosperity preacher, and I said for years, who lives in a garage down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> You ever know that comedian from Saturday Night Live says, I'm a, you know, yeah, so I'm going to, and I'll live down in the, you know, in the, in the van down by the river. And I was, I, you know, where that Ferris wheel is, you know, downtown. I, mean, I lived only a few blocks from there. And I believed in prosperity. I'm not against it. Some people, you know, anybody in America who says, I don't believe in prosperity, well, okay, let's go over to Africa, let's go over to India. You preached against prosperity, and then you tell them how much you have. <laughs> and see if they don't throw you out as a hypocrite. There's no one in this, even a poor person in this nation is greatly blessed. <laughs> so I'm not against prosperity, but not many people can handle it. Prosperity is a harder struggle than it is poverty. There's a whole lot more temptation to walk away from God and prosperity than there is poverty. And Z. The answer is to delight in the Lord and not in this world and its goods. We can prosper. We can have our best life now. But the key is delight in God to give the desires of our heart and not the things or the ways of this world. So I'm going to finish up this message, I guess, in a couple of weeks on talking about more desires and talking about a man after God's own heart. There's two men in the Bible after God's own heart. One was after God owns heart, and other was after his father's heart. So we're going to talk about desires, and so we can each look at ourselves, make sure we're in the faith, and make sure the desires that we're pursuing are God's desires, and make sure we're pursuing them on his time and schedule, not our own. Because that's really important. God wants, we delight ourselves with the Lord. God will give us desires in our heart. But I'm finding out the closer I get to the Lord, the less desires I have for the things in this world. And more desire I have to see if his will be done. That's good. That's good. Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, and just praise you, Lord. We thank you that you do give the desires of our heart when we delight in you, Father. So show us, Lord, where we're taking delight in things that are going to bring us ruin and, and corrupt our ways, Father. And give us, an, and just like uh, King David prayed in Psalms 51, Lord, if we've lost the joy of our salvation, Lord, renew the joy of our salvation, Father. So once again, we delight in your ways and your things more than what this world has to offer, Father. So we can live our best life now knowing that we are pleasing to you, Father, that we are being used of vessels of excellence and that we're able to do what you've told us to do so that we're not high maintenance, Lord. We don't want to give you a list of things that need to be met before we'll do your will, Father. Because every, you've given us of everything, Lord. Even for just the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can be directed and order our path each and every day, Father. So show us, Lord, where we're delaying our future, where we're delaying our best life now, where we're delaying doing your will. Show us the desires of our heart, whether they be good or whether they be evil, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.